This is the last of our series on being a disciple, the best disciple you can be, or disciple, or becoming a disciple. And we're actually going to be talking about discipleship today, or being a disciple. It's an interesting idea, being a disciple. For many years, when I was growing up in the church, discipleship was frowned upon because of the innuendo that came with the whole idea of submission and yielding your control to another person. And so for many, many years, um, the church, well, at least the church that I was part of, shunned the whole idea because there were abuses to uh, this whole idea of discipleship in other, in other places. And so it became sort of like, oh, you know, don't talk about discipleship because it's like... It's like not good because this particular place you couldn't eat without asking permission to eat or you couldn't get married without asking permission to get married. You, you couldn't do anything without asking somebody who was meant to be your disciple whether you could do what you were doing. That was the level of control that, that was existent in, in the group. And so people became quite weary of the whole idea of discipleship. But in, in a simple form, discipleship is quite simple really. It's just one guy... One person teaching another person how to live the Christian life. And uh, Jesus is the one that actually set the whole process up at the beginning. So we really don't have a problem with discipleship. If you have a problem with discipleship, you've really got to have a problem with Jesus because Jesus is the one who set it all up. Um, the, the problem in our society today is that we are so disengaged from each other and from community that it becomes very difficult to appreciate the depth of what discipleship means in terms of community. So in the West, we, we live in houses which have fences and we, we have a certain protocol about distance and how much you can get and how close you can get and we can't keep people out at a sort of a safe distance. We have our own little zone, a privacy zone, in which you can't let people come too close to yourself. And so when we had the Africans come and live in, in our fellowship and we loved the Africans coming to live in our fellowship, we, we learned that there's a different culture and that there's a different kind of connection and there's more family and everybody raises the children. It's not just you raising your kids. It's the whole community raises the children. And we learn that there's a different way of doing things. We're not saying that one is right and the other is wrong. We're just saying they're different. There's a different approach to community. It's a different approach to this whole idea of connecting together. It's tribal, it's different, it's different to what we're used to. And so really what happens is the word of God comes to us and it affects us in the culture in which we are raised, in the, with the background in which we are raised. And it causes us to be jarred sometimes into trying to think through an issue through the paradigm or the grid that we have been raised with. If I've been raised in the West, I am me and myself and you are you and yourself and if we get together, that's nice, but really we stay fairly distant from each other. We don't really connect well in the West. Part of what's how we are. But it doesn't have to be that way. Being a disciple or making disciples has a profound effect not only in terms of our relationship to God but in terms of our relationship to one another and the Bible tells us uh, that the disciples that were following Jesus were disciples because they were committed to him as a person they really loved Jesus they were connected to Jesus they spent three years 
walking around with Jesus, watching Jesus do the stuff that he was doing. If you remember, if, you, if you're familiar with uh, the, the calling of these guys, um, Jesus was, came down to, the, to where John the Baptist was being, doing some baptism and he asked to be baptized and, and John and James and a couple of the others were looking and saying, who's this guy? And they, This is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And, and they started getting quick, uh, curious about Jesus and they started to follow Jesus, went to talk with Jesus. And then eventually Jesus called them to himself and says, come follow me. And, you know, John didn't have a problem with that. He was quite happy that Jesus increased and he decreased. He wasn't crying about losing disciples or anything like that. But they started to walk with Jesus. And Jesus selected 12 men to walk with him. And all the other women that came along with the guys too, they, they, they followed him around. And for three years they saw him do amazing things. In three years they had grown from men who were just fishermen to men who had a passion for God and had been trained by the supreme teacher Jesus and taught them and showed them his life and revealed the father to him to them so that they, at the end of their three years they knew what Jesus was about they knew that he was the Messiah they knew that he discipled them he lived with them he ate with them he tested them he, he talked with them he challenged them he he, he rebuked them he, he did a whole lot of things he showed them stuff he he he, he expressed himself and re, revealed his heart to them so that they could see him And then when he filled them with the Holy Spirit, they became a powerful source. And they went their way and they just multiplied right across the face of the earth. And we are sitting here today because of the power of discipleship. That's why we're here. Someone discipled you or somebody led you to the Lord. Somebody led them to the Lord. Somebody led them to the Lord. And eventually you're here today because discipleship works. Whether we like the name or we're comfortable with the whole idea of it, it works. We're saved today because it didn't die out. Christianity didn't die out. It was kept alive because Jesus indwelt the people. And these guys loved him to a bit. They just loved Jesus. They loved his person. They had friendship and loyalty with him. They were obedient to his directors. So when he spoke to them and he talked to them, they would obey him and do what he asked them to do. And they were accepted the obligation that they were going to have to suffer for him. By the time they, they were in the garden, um, they might have been, Peter's ready to die, and even though he's going to deny him three times, he says, I, you know, here's a sword, I'm ready to die for you. you know, he recognized that he had to suffer, just didn't have it when it came to the crunch. But after they were pulled into the church and baptized into the church and God established the church around them in the book of Acts, you had these guys who had no fear. They were told to stop their preaching and they said, you know, what are we going to do, obey you or obey God? We'll stand up and preach. Well, we'll go out and beat you then. We'll beat us. Or we'll chop your head off then. We'll chop our heads off. Or we'll stone you. Well, then stone us. There, There was no fear in these guys. They were full of boldness. The Holy Spirit empowered them to do it. And it didn't matter what you did to them. They would keep on doing what God wanted them to do because they were committed to it. They were committed to him. They were They were... In relationship with Jesus, they were partners in his work and they were ready to pay the price that Jesus paid. They were ready to go to death because of it. John says these words in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. To the Jews who, believed, who had believed in Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you or make you free. 
So discipleship really has to do with holding to the truth of Jesus. The word hold is to remain in or to abide in or to not depart from, to continue in, to travel around in, not to become something other than, not to be a different form of. So holding fast to the truth means that you take in the body of truth that Jesus is presenting and you ingest it in such a way that you live that truth out in your life on in a continuous basis. He says, if you're doing that, he says, then you're my disciple. He says, and the, and the promise in this verse is, if you hang on to the teaching of Jesus and you do what it says, he says, you will know the truth. You, the word know is an interesting word because it's a, an idiom that the Jews used to use to uh, mean Sexual inter, in, in, interpersonal relationships, sexual intercourse. So Adam knew Eve and they began a son. And so it was the idiom that they used for up close and personal, really involved. So they're now using this word and saying, you will know the truth. That means you'll get really up close to the truth. You'll be invested in the truth. The truth will be invested. You'll be pregnant with the truth. The truth will be in you. You'll be full of the truth. The truth will be full of you. And that's an interesting idea. Hanging on to the teaching of God means that you are going to become part of the truth and the truth is going to become part of you. And the offshoot of that is that freedom will come to you through that. Now we're all looking to be free. We all want to be free from something. We've got chains around our lives that have tied us up from the time that we were born. You know, I, I can't remember when the chain started coming on, but they got on there somewhere. And I remember when I was a young man, just starting in the ministry, and I was doing a, my first pioneer church in, in, in Lawson on, in, the, in the Blue Mountains. And I can remember sitting there one day, I was working as a gardener in a millionaire's garden and just making some money on the side just to get through. And Jen was working in a nursing home. And I remember sitting down on a, on a block wall and thinking, my life is chained up with chains. Here I am, a minister of a church, starting out, just a young bloke, about Nathan's age, you know, a little bit younger than Nathan. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, I've got so much stuff that's holding me back and chaining me up, and I couldn't even identify what it was. I just felt all tied up inside. Can you relate to that? Feeling all tied up inside? Feeling like things are sort of shackling you? You don't know really know what, what they are, but they're there. You find you, you're not really free to, to do and be what you really want to do and be, you know? Maybe it's just me. But I started to understand that if I got into God's word, and I started to listen to God's word, I started to put the, um, my earphones on, you know, and started to listen to the Bible over and over and over. You know, I just kept on listening as I was working, as I was mowing lawns or as I was cleaning the floors in Kmart and in, in, you know, in the early morning hours. I put, you know, the, the book of Romans on in my ear and put the, the, the um, buffer on and off we'd go buffing all the floors in Kmart listening to the book of Romans for three hours. And I discovered something, that if you hold to the teaching of Jesus, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You will experience freedom You'll become one with freedom. You'll become one with liberty. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, will start breaking off those chains because his plan for your life is not that you be chained up and scratching around with the chickens, but that you'd be soaring with the eagles and achieving all that God wants you to achieve in life. That's his plan for your life. So we're all bound up, but there is a secret here. 
The secret is quite simply hang on to what Jesus is saying. And the best way to do that is to do it as Jesus wants you to do it. Discipleship is the connection of individuals together with the Lord. So he becomes the controller of our lives and he becomes the one who directs our lives. So we're not getting our way to live from the gurus of this world or from the how to do it, from the TV shows and stuff or the magazines or something. We're going to the word of God, we're going to him and we say, you have the blueprint for life, you know what it's meant to be like, you know what relationships are meant to be like, you know what parenting's meant to be like, you know what business is meant to be like, you know what finances are meant to be like. I'm coming to you, Jesus, you show me in your word, what you want me to do. And then you listen to him and you read it and he speaks to you and you take that on board and you say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to hang on to that now. That's going to be part of my lifestyle. And the other part is that it connects with other people horizontally. So it connects with Jesus in this way. And it would be very nice for it just to be this way because it's uncomplicated, isn't it? It's uncomplicated when it's just me and Jesus. But when you include Ruth into the exercise, it becomes a complication. I can love Jesus and that's fine, but it's more difficult this way. You notice that. Why is that? Why? Because I'm stuck in my ways and she's quite not stuck in her ways and somehow there's friction, but, you know, somehow it's just difficult. So when you include people in the mix, it becomes a complicated thing. I can't help you. I mean, we can make this a religious thing and we all come here. Don't touch either, anybody. Please don't talk to anybody. Look at Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And then walk out and not engage with anybody. But that wasn't Jesus' plan. Jesus did not plan for you to come in and have, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. See you later. I'm out of here. He came and said, you come together. You say, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And hey, look, I've got a new sister. Uh, it becomes complicated. When you put people in the mix, it always becomes complicated. The discipleship is really complicated because it involves individuals just like you and just like me. And we might be not quite as perfect as we're meant to be. Isn't that right? It means that we have to develop some level of proximity where we're meeting with people and connecting with people. We have to have a little bit of intimacy. And we're talking not about up close intimacy like sex. We're talking about trust with one another. We have to start to trust one another. We have to be learning to self-disclose to one another and be able to open up and say, you know, my heart is broken here, you know. I want to show you some of my broken heart, you know. Do I trust you enough to let you know that it's broken? We have to reciprocate. Do kind things for others as they would do kind things for you. We have to be responsive and help other people. It be accessible so that people can get this. And that's all complicated stuff because we have our own lives and we like to live in our own circle and we don't like to let anybody else in. So it becomes a jarring reality to involve people into our lives. But discipleship requires us to do that. Now I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 28 because Matthew chapter 28 is the thing that discipleship really stands on. It's the scripture that stands on uh, as the, the basis for the reason why we have to make disciples. So this is the Great Commission. So we have Jesus, he's appeared to the disciples and he, he says, oh, I'm going now and, he, and he's walked off to this mountain and they've all followed him with him and he says, well, I'm see you later. And before he leaves, he says these words to them. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'll be with you even to the end of the age. You got that, guys? Yep. And he was taken up into heaven. I don't think they got it at all. I'm pretty certain they didn't get it. I'm pretty certain they didn't have a clue what was involved in this profound statement from Jesus. When Jesus uttered this profound statement, he was saying something that was so profound. I'm glad they wrote it down because they certainly didn't get it. We know they didn't get it by the book of Acts when they were meant to go and do this stuff. They were quite comfortable with the Jews, but they, did, they were not comfortable with the Gentiles. And he didn't say, keep it just for the Jews, guys. He says, making disciples of all nations. Yeah, I don't think they got it. I don't think they got the depth of what he meant by this horizontal connection with one another. So let's talk about what he actually said in this passage of Scripture. And Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now right there, we need to stop and we need to think about that. You know, where the devil controls things, we tend to think that he has power and control. The authority is his. We think, you know, this world belongs to the devil. The devil's doing some terrible stuff in this world and you look around and it's all bad and he's in control and obviously the authority and the power is the devil's. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that all authority and power has been given to me. And then he says, you go and make disciples. So he, he was actually telling you that you don't have to be frightened or fearful of the devil. That may be all right for you, Mark, but you don't feel what I feel when I think one of those things is around me. You know how my hair stands up on the back of the neck and it all goes, well, my hair's on my arms stand up and this feeling of fear starts to saturate and, and go through every part of my body and I just feel so frightened. You talk about the devil and we run into a corner and hide. All the devils come into the room. Jesus says, what are you, you, know, what are you scared about? He's essentially saying here right now, he says, I have all power and authority. I want to take you to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. That's Isaiah 41 verse 10. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, And now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Don't fear. All authority is mine. Don't fear. We sit there and we're scared of the man with the tat. We're scared of the person who looks a bit odd. We're scared of the person who, who looks like he's violent. We're scared of the person who looks like he is aggressive. We're frightened because we think the demonic is stronger than God. I want to tell you that God is stronger than the demonic. And you need to step up and say, you know, if I don't step into this, who will? Oh, they may cut off your head. It doesn't matter what they do. They cannot kill you. Because you're born of God. You will not die. You'll go live with Jesus, but you will not die. It's the fear of death. We think it all finishes at death. 
There's nothing after death, so it's, be scared of anything that may terminate your life. Listen, I want to tell you something very clearly. Nothing in this world can terminate your life. Death will not stop you. Press in there because death is just a doorway to where we're going. And that is far more real than where we are now. Today will fade away and pass. Material stuff will disappear. But that which is in you, the spirit which is in you, will live forever. And that's what the thing is. You don't need to be frightened. Jesus says, hey, be bold. Be strong. I'm with you. I've got the authority. And James says, you submit yourself to God. And then he says something really profound. He says, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. I remember as a young man, I was doing counseling in the church that I first started. And one of my counseling opportunities was to talk to a young woman who had just given her heart to the Lord. I had to go and do some sort of study with her. So when I knocked on the door and mum and dad answered the phone, answered the door and I, so I came and she was sitting there and I, I've come to do some Bible studies and stuff. Well, that was fine. As I was sitting there, the boyfriend of this girl who was not a Christian came to the door and started pounding on the door, very angry because he thought that his girlfriend was going out with another bloke. No, it wasn't me. I mean, there was a big age difference from us. And I remember him coming flying through the door and him screaming murderous threats. And I was standing at the top of the stairs and looking down at him and I thought to myself, this man is very angry. And he looks like he wants to hurt somebody. And I'm the only person standing between this family and this man. And I suddenly thought, this is not a very safe place to be. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, you tell it to stop in the name of Jesus. You tell it to leave in the name of Jesus. Well, you know, this thing went through my, heart, my mind really fast. You know, mum and dad aren't even Christians. They'll think I'm stupid. She's just a beginner, so she wouldn't even know anything about this. You want me to see what to this bloke who's coming through the door shouting murder straight in the name of Jesus? What if he comes and belts me anyway? Well, you're big enough, you can take the belting. I've, had, I've been belted before. I can take, you can beat me up, I'll recover. The beating up doesn't hurt, it's just healing that usually hurts. It's the day after, you know, everything's swollen up and the pain's sort of set in here. Yeah. But when he's hitting you, you can take it, you can take it, you can take it. It's okay, it's till after, you know. So I stood there, I said, in the name of Jesus, go, leave. He shut his mouth. He walked out the door, shut the door and left. I learned something. (laughs) I learned something. The word of God is true. You don't have to be afraid. You say, oh, well, that's uh, you're just fortunate, Mark. Yeah, that might be your faith. But I've done that before and I've done that again and I still hold it. And I've been punched in the face and I've been hit and I've been... You, it doesn't matter. Listen to me. Listen to me now. It's about your boldness 
It's about your understanding of this statement that Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. There is no excuse. If Jesus is with you, he's got the authority. You just stand there and use that authority and Jesus will be back picking up that authority. And the demon, if it's driving that person, will have to go. You either leave the person and let the person stay there and we'll talk with the person or you and the person have got to leave. What's your choice? Go in Jesus' name. You see, we tend to get so fearful, we think that as soon as the, the demonic starts to press on us, we start to shake and we think we have no power. It's not the truth. The truth is that you have all power because Jesus is living in you and he has all authority. And you need to exercise that authority. You need to ex- turn to your neighbor and say, exercise that authority. Touch him now. Just poke him in the arm. Seriously. Exercise that authority. But what is it the devil gets you wound up about? What is it he he sets you in the corner about? What is it he makes you scared? You're too scared to talk to somebody about your faith. You're too scared to, to say something about your faith. You're too scared to take a little bit of flack for your faith. Look, what is it that he's making you fearful? Exercise that authority. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, verse 11, for it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. He's got the authority. He says, therefore, so you always know when you've got a therefore in in a passage, there for a reason, you know, the therefore is there for a reason. He says, so, you know, go and make disciples is there. Because he said all authority. You couldn't do this if it didn't have God's authority. The minute you tried to do it, you'd get squashed straight away. But because you got the authority, because Jesus said, you can go now. You, he sends you, he commands you to go. So it's a commandment. You, all right, you, you, this is not optional. God does not say to me and to Jade, go therefore and make disciples and, and take Phil and John and say, you don't have to. If it's true, this is a universal statement to the whole of the church saying, it's time for you to rise up and to go. There's a couple of things that are implied here. Is one, there's a purpose in your life, even though you might not feel like you have a purpose, there is a purpose in your life. The purpose is of obedience to go and make disciples, can be worked out in your life. It's what Jesus wants for you. It's what he told his disciples to do at the very beginning, and he hasn't withdrawn that. He hasn't retracted that. He hasn't said, oh, it's all over now. You can stop now. He's still in force. The go-to is still there. The authority is still empowered there. He still has the power. If you've been running around with fear in your life, you need to tell that fear to leave you and speak to it and say, get out of here because I've got authority in Jesus' name. And Jesus is living with me. And then you have to get up off your seat and you have to go to. Because you can't sit down controlled by fear any longer. You've got to get up and go, therefore. You have to, it's, it's, it's simple. If, you, if, you, if I say to you, I give you now the authority to my key card. I give you the pin number. All the money for that world trip is there for you to go, therefore. You sat there, I'm a bit scared. Your loss. Your loss. 
It's all there waiting for you to experience. Peter says it this way. He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. Everything that we need. You know why we don't experience the everything? It's because we don't get up and go for it. Oh, if I, I need something here. Why? Why do you need it? Because I, I went and I found I had lack and I have to trust and pray now. God's supply and all of He comes through and He supplies. And Wow, I would have never experienced the supply of God had I not got up and gone to. You live where you live because you don't press the boundaries. If you walk toward the boundaries and pressed on and pressed on, you will discover that God is there at the boundary to deliver you through the boundaries and to say, get on going again. The miracles that you're missing out because you don't press those boundaries. The miracles that you miss out on because you don't stand up and say, stop in Jesus' name. What do you think? That the guys who died for their faith at the beginning of the church, who shed their blood, had nothing? Or they had something so powerful that we don't see now? I think they had something so powerful that they were willing to cast it all aside and say, Lord Jesus, it's worth it all. It's worth it all. Go and make disciples. Make is a process. Make is a process, and it requires a whole lot of itty-bitty character trait things to go along with it to make. One of the big things in make is consistency. If you're going to make something, you have to be consistent at it. You can't build a house in a day. No, this doesn't work. You dig the footings one day, you pour the concrete the next day. The next day, you, 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 you put the slab boxing around and you begin to start to box up the slab. The next day you put the frame up. It's a process. Huh? And through the whole process is a consistency that is required by the builder to get the job finished. So consistency is a big thing in terms of making or a process of making. So if you're making disciples, you've got to recognize the fact that this is a commitment for a duration of time. And it's going to require from you some level of consistency. You know, that probably is one of the reasons why we balk at it, hey. Uh, we get to the point and we say, you know, well, this is great. I'd like to have, uh, have a consistent life. But, you know, doesn't mean that I, I can't just drop it and just walk away and do my own thing. Probably that's, you know, when you have a baby, you need consistency. You need a routine, you know. The child needs to be fed. The child needs to be bathed. The child needs to be nappies changed. You need to put the child to sleep and then you have to go through the whole process again when the child wakes up. You have to keep on doing this until they're 15, 16 years old and they learn to change their own nappy. That's the way it goes. And you've got to be consistent and happy the whole way through it. Otherwise, you're going to, you're going to produce a whole lot of problems in the child's life that grows up with you being not consistent and not being happy about the the process, look, you know what it's like to grow up in a home where it's not happy and it's not nice and it's not consistent. And you, well, you've got to put your foot down and, and you think it's got to be, and it's not there. It's not. Yeah, I can get, I get it, okay? I get it that we, we find this difficult. I get it that we, thanks, love. I get it and I understand that this is difficult for us to put in place. Because it confronts us. 
You know, how on earth can I be a disciple if I lack commitment? Because I didn't learn what that consistently looked like as I was growing up. How can I actually do this if I can't be this to someone else? How can I? This becomes really difficult then. So we we put it in in a corner and we say, you know, that's a nice scripture. It's for missionaries. Those who go to China or go to Indonesia or go to some other country and preach, go into all the world and make disciples. But we, we live in our little church closet here and we keep it happy for ourselves. With this whole thing, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, all nations. What nation come from, Grace? What nation you come from? Congo. Where do you come from? New Zealand originally. New Zealand? Uh-huh. Australia. Uh-huh. Where are your roots? Switzerland. Switzerland. Uh-huh. You come from Congo? Congo. Where are you coming from, Leanne? You're Australian. Chris, where do you come from? You're Australian too. Hmm. Mum. England and Wales. England and Welsh. Welsh girl. Hmm. Germany. Germany. Ah. You know what I know about nations? Is nations are weird. They're weird, weird, weird. You know, Africans are really weird people. No offence. Mm. they are strange. Well, I've never met Africans until I met you guys. And I didn't know whether I liked Africans until I met you guys. And now I know I love them. I just think they're great. You know? But you know what? I had to get over a lot of my whiteness to get to really appreciate your beauty. Yeah, yeah, you look and shake your head. You don't think you're beautiful. You are beautiful. Do you think the, who thinks the Africans are beautiful? I do. I think they're lovely, gorgeous. Listen to me. We get used to ourselves and our circle and we become parochial. That means that we we live in our circle and we are comfortable with the people who have the same sort of color skin as us, the same sort of look as us, who can walk like we walk and talk like we talk and they don't jar us in any way. But as soon as you add something strange to the mix, it's like, (gasps) well, that's strange. How odd is that? And the big problem with... I, I, I met this girl. She came to one of the job sites I was working on. And she, I don't know where she was from, but she was black. You're not black. But she was black, black. Sudanese, okay. Yeah. And she had, she had markings on her face like this, you know, scars. Sudanese, okay. Okay, you know the one. She was so black that I couldn't tell the, 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 the face... The, it was too black to see the, the characteristics of her face. You understand how blue-black that is? I was mesmerized. I, I was looking at her and I was in awe. And she was talking and asking directions and I'm just looking and going, wow, <laughs> wow. I'm just so, I'm just, I just have to, what would you, sorry, she's trying to tell me that she can't find it. I said, oh, okay, 
I wanted to say, you're beautiful. But I couldn't, I couldn't say that to her because I'd only just met her. But you put me in her place where she lives. You put me in the room where she eats. You make me sit down with her and I'm going to feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable, uncomfortable because I don't know what she's doing. I don't know her ways. I don't know what she's thinking. I don't know anything about what it is to be Sudanese. And I'm not going to feel comfortable for a long, long time if I'll ever feel comfortable there because I'm not Sudanese and she's not me. And we are so different. And when God says, make disciples of all nations, he said, get over it. Get over the difference. Get over the diversity. Start to understand that it doesn't have to be a a wall that stops you from connecting. It can be something that you can experience and broaden your scope in life. He said, discipleship will make you broaden your scope in life. It'll make you cross the street from where you live. It'll make you drop your prejudices, make you drop your ideas of what it ought, shouldn't be like, and make you broaden your ideas and understand that God is bigger than the color of your skin. When he said these words, he knew exactly what he was saying. That Jews hated anything that wasn't Jewish. And they had a major problem when, the, when Peter got a vision and got told to go to Cornelius' place. Major problem. Well, he's one of those Gentile dogs. Jesus in the background smiling. You do what I tell you to do, Peter. Don't call that which I've made clean, unclean. Discipleship. I love it. In discipleship, it says, you are connected to me. Now connect this way. And if it hurts you, well and good, but grow through the process. He did not. Oh, we'll send missionaries away because it's comfortable. I would rather put my dollars in a bowl and have you go, Johnny, and, and preach the world somewhere else than to me go there. Jesus says, that's not the way. You know, oh, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You thought multiculturalism was some man's idea. I tell you what multiculturalism is. It's God's idea to get you out of where you're at, to get you to a place where you start to understand it's his world with his people. And they're your brothers and sisters and start to get to understand that. Oh, yes, I know there's a whole lot of reasons why it's not going to work because we've all got different faiths and we're all going to kill each other. And Yeah, that may be so, but Jesus is so concerned about their lost soul that he will bring them to your doorstep and have them knock on your door and drive your taxis and, and be in your face continuously until you recognize that the go is serious. You have to go. We cannot hide behind this, oh, it's just Australia. It's a true blue thing, you know. We have to shake ourselves and say, God is serious about men's souls. So much so he'll change a nation's fabric. The society will change it and bring the mission field to you. (laughs) He's serious about making disciples. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
and we often look at that and say, okay, this is the, um, the phrase that we use when we're baptizing people. We baptize you now in the confession of faith, we baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we baptize you because we did put them all in there. I want to look a little bit deeper than this, though. This is not just a formula for baptism. It's a statement, a very profound statement about what you're actually baptizing people into or what you're submerging people into. What you are discipling is you're bringing people, I know you're going to baptize them, that's, that's fine, but you're bringing people into a close personal relationship with the Father. Jesus came showing us the Father. He says, I do nothing of my own initiative. Everything I do, I do to show you the Father. Thomas says, show us the Father. He says, have I been with you all this time and you don't recognize him? Everything I do is what the Father would have me do. Everything I say is what the Father... He came to baptize us into an understanding of what Father God... He wanted us to come back to Father God of the garden, the creator who created humanity, put them in a garden, and then he lost touch with us. Now he's saying, come back to the Father. Come back to Creator God, your Father. Here's what it looks like. And you're immersed through the teachings of Jesus. You're immersed in this volume of understanding of God that you never had before, that's been stolen away from you. This idea that God, who loves you so much, that He would give His own Son to die for you, He's so yearning after you, who created all things for you. He'd bring you back and immerse you in the knowledge of the Father, and immerse you in the understanding of Jesus, the heart and the love of God. While God the Father may be holy and full of love, Jesus is the love of God, full and outflowing towards you, willing to die in your stead, gives his whole life for you, and you consume with that and then to experience the dynamic and the power of the baptism and the, and the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life where God comes and walks with you and talks with you and fills your life so that you are empowered by him on a daily basis. He said, you know what? Bring him into all of that. Make sure they get swallowed up and buried in all of that. Don't miss anything out. Let them come to know me. Let them come to know my son. Let them come to know the power of the Holy Spirit in them. Fill them overflow them and baptize them in all of that doesn't matter where they come from jesus is the same for everyone and then he says and teaching them to obey everything i commanded you teaching is an interesting word here because we often think about teaching as being a didactic thing you know something that happens i sit up here and i teach you so you sit down there and you faithfully take notes. I'm being taught now. <laughs> so this is the process. But teaching is a lot bigger and a lot broader than just you know, a didactic, me talking to you, creating, grabbing information and somehow dumping it into your mind. You know, If that's the case, when you walk out of here, you haven't taken notes, you'll probably recall, if I'm fortunate, you'll probably recall 20% of it at the end of the day. By next week, you'll have forgotten completely. If you've taken some notes, you're writing notes furiously and you're writing these down and you're thinking about them and you're studious about your study, you're probably maybe 50% by the end of the day. By next week, 
less. But if you take what you learn today and you've written down notes about it and you find another person to tell them what you learned today, you will recall 70 to 90% of that stuff next week. Making disciples is very good for your mind and it's very good for your spirit and it's very good to help you. Making disciples takes the truth that you learn this way and cements it and makes it part of your life because you're giving it out. Everything that you give out, it becomes part of you. So I'll remember the sermon a whole lot better than you will remember the sermon because I'm the one giving the sermon. It's just the way it goes. But there's so much in teaching. Teaching all the things that Jesus commanded us. Teaching them to obey them. That means, oh, that's just awkward, Mark. Will you, will you cut out the, the, the weird and awkward stuff? Well, it's uncomfortable, Mark, in our society to try and in, involve yourself in somebody else's life and tell them that they're not right, quite doing it quite right. You're not quite doing it quite right. Can I actually give you some education on how to change your behavior? You know, how to correct your behavior? Can I give you some sort of hints to make it better so it's not so bad before? You know, who are you to tell me what to do? Who do you think you are? You're holier than thou. That you should sit yourself up in some sort of throne above me and tell me how I should live my life. I've got a brain. I've got an intelligence. I can work it out for myself. I don't need you to tell me how to order my life around it, buddy. It sounds kind of Australian, doesn't it? Don't you tell me what to do. Well, actually, Jesus did tell you that you could actually require obedience of people which is a kind of different wrinkle than what we're used to in our society because we don't dare to go there. That's weird. To try and correct somebody is kind of difficult. One of, the, one of the tasks that we have as pastoral people is to correct people when they go astray. And we're told to do that with gentleness, correct with gentleness. And they'll be careful that we don't get caught with some sort of the bug that they get, you know. It is difficult to say the least, to exercise correction in people's life. Nevertheless, to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you requires that we tackle the difficult thing. Now, we're quite happy to do that when we start launching out into a family situation. We've got to have kids and we've got to teach them. No, no, that's a no, no, don't touch that. Nana's stuff. Nana's special stuff. Don't touch it. Put it back. Put it back. That's a good girl. Come this way now. And that's okay. We're willing to go that process. But do you do that with a, an adult? Do you do that with somebody who's, who's an, an adult? Do you actually... This is where we don't like discipleship because the whole idea is, well, you've got to tell me what to do. You've got to correct me. I wish somebody had stepped into my life before I did some stupid things when I was young and loved me enough to tell me that stuff. I went years around a mountain looking for a way out of the chains that I got myself wrapped up because no one stopped me and said, hey, buddy, if you keep on doing that, you're going to get some grief around your life. You know, I had no one who cared enough. It was the Holy Spirit who did the discipling. We opt out and let the Holy Spirit do it. And he says, you're meant to do it to one another. We just fail to connect like that. I wish somebody would have, in my years at youth at Ruth Sage, had come into my life and, and sat down beside me and got up close with me and, and given me some good counsel. I wasn't listening to my parents because I was an adolescent. And adolescents don't listen to their parents. But we need another adult in our life to speak words of wisdom into us. We need adults who care to make a difference. You listening to me? 
The number one problem for youth today is abandonment. Adult abandonment. We need it. We're looking for it. We wish we had it. We rebel against it. That's part of what we do. But it has to be consistent. It has to come back and it has to love us and it has to come back to us again. And it has to yearn for us and show us that it cares. And then we'll tend to trust it and believe it. And it will help us get through life. There's lots of different ways to learn. You know all the different ways. Look at this. There's a whole heap of different ways to learn. There's music smart, body kinesthetics. That's you learn from your body. You learn because you're mixed with people. You learn because you're smart with words. Or you learn because you're smart with logic. Nature smart. A lot of the Bible's about nature smart. Jesus says, look at the, look at the bird that, in the field. Learn something from it. Hey, switch your head into understanding. Smell the roses and understand what I'm saying to you. Self smart. Look at yourself and ask yourself the question. Be real with yourself. Don't live in a deception. Honestly, look and evaluate yourself. Learn from that. Picture smart. Jesus shows lots and lots of pictures to his disciples to, to try and get them to understand things. There's lots of way of learning. So teaching them to obey everything I've commanded is a process by which we have to go through this arduous task of caring about another person's outcome and another person's walk, whereby we are not trying to control them, but trying to help them and aid them. We do it with our kids, but don't ask me to extend myself past my kids, please. And I look, and he says, a butcher in the family with your brothers and sisters. He says, and I'm your daddy. Now help one another. This is why, I mean, I get it. I get why we don't do this. I get why this is hard. I get, I get why this is hard. I get why this is hard. It's, this, is, this is not going to be easy for us. Right throughout the scripture, we're told to love one another, to honor one another, to accept one another, to serve one another, to admonish one another, to bear with one another, to submit to one another, to encourage one another. He's like saying to us over and over and over and over and over and over again, get used to the fact that you're going to be connected. If you can't live this way here, how on earth are you going to live in heaven with everybody else? Get used to the idea that you're going to have to mix it close with people. You have to pull down those walls somewhere along the line and have to let somebody else come in. And I know it's scary. I know it's frightening. And they will probably say things to you that you don't want them to say. And they might hurt your feelings. But I want to tell you, all authority in heaven has been given to Jesus. And you can be bold about this because Jesus is big enough to comfort you and to help you in the exercise. You've got to commit to do it. It ain't nice to be hurt. And sometimes I know Christians can be the worst people to like because they can be the ones you trust the most and they're the ones that hurt you the most. I know that. But that does not mean we stop. It means we draw our personal strength and our significance and our security from Jesus. And once we've got that nice and strong and solid, we tempt ourselves and say, go out now and touch that other person there. I know it's going to be horrible. I'm going to touch him. I'm going to connect with him. I'm going to walk with him. And I'm going to learn to love him.
And that's what's happened. That's what's happened. Why? Because Jesus said, connect. Get over yourself, Mark, and connect. And what the world needs now is more connection. And you got the secret because you're safe and secure this way. You can risk this one. That's scary. It's frightening. You're going to hurt me. I know you won't, but you can. I have to be willing to be hurt. Is that capable this year? Can we be willing to be hurt? Or do we have to protect ourselves? Because if you're protecting yourself, you can't do this thing. You can't do what Jesus wants you to do. You can't go into all the world and make disciples. It's highly risky stuff. You can't cross the boundaries of nations and look at somebody who looks so different to you but is more beautiful to you and, and feel secure. You can't embrace different cultures and understand what to sift and leave in the culture and what to remove from it. It's all frightening. It's all too scary. This human interaction stuff is way, way too risky. But you're not given any excuse. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, therefore you go. Friends, I want us to be a fellowship that is extending itself, continuously extending itself. And in the process, yes, we get hurt. Yes, in the process, I get hurt. You get hurt. We all get hurt. But listen, I am thankful for the comforter. Because I can go to the comforter and I can say, Oh, Jesus, you are my comfort. You are my helper in times of need. And he makes it better and fills with strength. And the words that Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do, becomes my words. Father, forgive them, because they're still broken. Help me to be consistent. Help me to be consistent. Help me to be consistent. When they hurt me, help me to be consistent. Help me not to quit. So they see by my consistency and my loyalty and my love of you that there's truth here, and the truth will set them free. Amen? Let's pray. Let's ask Jesus to help us. Jesus, we come to you right now. We recognize this is scary stuff that you're asking us to do. But you are there with us, Lord Jesus. You are there present to the very end of the age. You will never leave us, nor will you ever forsake us. We have you with us where we can boldly say, The Lord is our helper. We shall not fear what man shall do unto us. Lord Jesus, you are with us continuously to help us to be the connection between yourself and those who are lost, Lord Jesus. Help us to build relationships, Father. Teach us and guide us in this difficult process. 
Fortify our hearts with your love, Lord Jesus. Fill us to overflowing with your love, Lord Jesus, so that we be everything that we can be for those that you are calling us to. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.